Okay, so I bet if I told you I were real angry as a kid, you wouldn't believe me, right? I know my reputation with you lot. Gentle-mannered, level-headed, as calm as Arkan and narrow-wise as Villa. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, enough laughing. As a kid, I was hurting and lost and angry and by the royal I was going to make everyone know it. I lashed out, thinking I were taking it out on the city or on those oppressive streets I'd grown up in. Mostly though, I was hurting myself and those around me. Took a pal, Ezra Graft, to make me see that. Their mam, Amris, had been organising in Calvary for most of her life. Ezra had picked up her wisdom. It wasn't that they were less angry than me. They just knew how to direct it. Before Ezra, if one of the factory bosses had been treating us like shit, I'd have got into a scrap with them there and then. Brought down even worse repercussions on all of us. Our trouble and everyone knew it. Ezra though taught me how to hold that anger tight to my chest till it could be useful. How to make my fury malleable. I didn't I didn't really appreciate it then, but they helped me a lot. They were they were one of the best friends I ever had. When we took Orkin, others in the Ginnels had a dozen ideas for different ways we could use him. Whether that were using him as a bargaining chip to get some of our prisoners back from the council or turning him into the weapon that the Jackal said he was. To call a mass way to keep him with the Jubilant. I reasoned that if Ezra could help a fool like me, then just maybe they could do the same with Orkin. Welcome to These Flimsy Rituals, an actual play podcast focused on telling small stories in big worlds. Joining me today is Thryn Henderson. Hi, I'm Thryn, and you can find me on Twitter at Thryn. Steve Martin. Hey, I'm Steve, and I'm on Twitter at purple underscore Steve. Beck Mihalek. Hi, I'm Beck, and you can find me on Twitter at r underscore Mihalek. Ryan Evans. Hello, uh, my name is Ryan, and you can find me on Twitter at Brain X-Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and Elizabeth Simones. Hi, I'm Ziz. You can find me on Twitter at Games. And I'm your host, Adam Dixon. You can follow me on Twitter at, at T Dixon. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Flimsy Rituals. So today we're continuing our game of Blades in the Dark by John Harper. As always, the music we're using for this season is Offsetting by Kai Engel. So after a score, we move into another phase of play called Downtime. And this is when we wrap up what we've been doing. We kind of loosen the camera a little bit and let you all kind of relax and we see what you do between scores. We resolve you getting paid. We resolve your reputation going up. We resolve any entanglements that come from the score. 
So from the book, it's a break for the players. It gives you a reprieve so you can catch your breath and relax a bit. Focus on lower energy, quieter elements of the game, as well as explore personal aspects of your characters. Downtime is divided into four parts, and we resolve them in order. So there's payoff, where you get your rewards from a successfully completed score. There is heat, where you accumulate suspicion and attention. Entanglements, where you face trouble from rival factions and the law and the city. And then downtime activities, in which each of you get to decide what your character is doing between scores, how they spend their time off. So the first step is payoff. So after a score, the PCs take stock of their income from the operation. A successful score generates both rep and coin. But before we get to the granular detail of it, I'm curious, what does it look like after the score? Do you go and meet Nilcat? What conversations do you have about Oaken? What conversations do you have with Oaken? And you can paint this broadly, and we don't have to resolve every loose end here, but I'm just curious what that process looks like. I'm kind of imagining a really intensive, initially, like period of questioning where we kind of sit Oaken down and everyone's around him in like a semicircle in the carousel and Nia's glowing threateningly. And we're, you know, just like rapid fire asking questions about who he is and who sent him and why was he there and where did he come from and, and who does he work for? And like getting nothing back, but I'm Oaken. <laughs> Until we all just get really, really tired <laughs> and just sort of, like, give up. I don't feel like any of us would be convinced that he is Oaken, although Nia obviously would be convinced that he thinks he's Oaken. And then, like, all kind of not knowing what to do with him other than keep him here. He knows we were there. He's seen all our faces. He could turn us into literally anyone. And also... I guess feeling a little bit like he can't be left alone, like what he's just going to wander off into traffic or something, like feeling weirdly responsible for him at some point after like the questioning doesn't get anywhere. I like the idea that at some point in the middle of this interrogation, like Nilka appears as well and you have to accommodate him in the carousel. What What's the interior like? Is it is it big or is I'm imagining this is quite tight and compressed um i think it's a fairly big space because carousels are big i think okay people who are taller would have to stoop a little bit um and i think it's quite cluttered like i think you have to step over big wooden gears and shafts and things to move around it i think it's kind of like ezra's strung a hammock up somewhere and there's like crates of tools and bits they're tinkering on and then like I guess because we use this as a base now as well, there's just like baskets of fruit around and bits of Nia's fabric doodars. And... Yeah, has anyone else made an impact in this space? If there's any sort of um, like gears overhead or any kind of rafters and stuff, there's probably like grubby fingerprints all over them where Ash just kind of climbs around the place. Nice. <laughs> of course. I'd like to think that there's... A completely pristine chair in the corner that Ivor sits on, but obviously never makes an indent in. <laughs> it's just like a brand new chair. That's that's like that's like the worst thing about being a that's ghost. Really good. You, know, you never get an ass groove in the sofa. Ivor and Ezra, I think we've talked about a little bit, have a little bit of history as as like just friends. Mm-hmm. 
So I like to imagine Ezra went out and like found a pristine, <laughs> like nice wing back for Ivar. <laughs> He's never going to be able to sit. In. Oh. That's all right, but I sit in it, <laughs> and no one else is allowed to sit in it. It's my chair. <laughs> I, I I kind of imagine that like one of the first times you went to sit down and Ash tried like pulling it out from under you, and you just sat on the air. Nice. So he, so he's just never tried it since. It just it was just so disappointing. Um, that would be sad. Can you remind me what the carousel creatures are? Oh yeah, we didn't go into this. As in what what is on the carousel? Oh yeah. Um. So because Embrace is an island, I uh, don't think they have much in the way of horses. Ezra has built a carousel of fish. Oh. So it's kind of very Ooh. intricate awesome. wooden metal kind of mechanical jointed fish that sort of undulate. There's like eels and seahorses and crabs, but mostly fish. Well, because I had an, an idea that for a section of it, they are kind of um, those clothes mannequin type. Like they're not, they're, they're still the fish, but now they're dressed in random fashion <laughs> stuff. Is this the ones on the carousel yes. or like the backup ones that are inside with us? Um, I think are the ones on the carousel. Sure, Definitely. yeah. That's amazing. Well, just just as, as Nia's sewing things, just putting it on one <laughs> of the actual fish, trying to make it <laughs> somewhat like what a human could wear, but on an eel. Huh. Are you actually like tailoring these as like using it as just a, a place that you can make stuff that would then go on humans, or are you specifically making these clothes for the fish? I love the idea that they're just sewing clothes for fish, yeah. like really well fitted clothes for fish. Just you know, practicing unusual tailoring. Okay, like if fair. you can if you can make a bodice for an eel that's currently in a pretzel shape. You can make anything. You can make a bodice for anything. So yeah, I, <laughs> I'm i kind of imagining at some point during this interrogation, because I imagine Nilcat knows where this carousel is, being friends with Ezra. Oh yeah, yeah, Nilcat would definitely know where yeah. to find us. I think Nilcat comes in and there's probably a moment where he confers with you and is like, what's what's going on? What? And as you explained that you found Oaken in the box, Polly takes Oaken to one side. And I think because he's slightly removed from having just stumbled across Oaken, maybe has a bit more of a sensible conversation with Oaken. I mean, that assumes Oaken would have a sensible conversation. <laughs> yeah. Sensible from one side. I, I think the thing that Nilcat does in order to try and open open up and you can say how well this works i think nilka starts to describe who this other oaken is oh no i think that's good yeah how does oaken feel about it how does oaken react when nilka's like yeah so you know the reason we don't believe you is because oaken has been parading around the city i think oaken is conflicted there's like the old very selfish part of him that hates that someone else is getting the limelight, but the main feeling is relief mm. until he figures out who has the spear. 
Yeah, that definitely gets mentioned. Yeah, that'll that'll get us attention. And how does he react? Um, I I think with anger, but I think Mel would calm him down a bit. Yeah, is is this like we we see Oaken start to storm out and then? Yeah, but I think that's like the switch that makes him like, okay, I have to pay attention to what's going on now and where I am and how things have changed. And like a bit of the old commanding Oaken will come back. Yeah. And I can kind of imagine this is where you strike a deal with Nilcat or like the group in that Nilcat's like, we can help you get the spare back. If you help us, we can help you get the spare back. I mean, not that I need help, but <laughs> fine. You may assist me if you insist upon it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I see that being what gets talked about, and there's probably like some detail that we will not go into here, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's just the switch from befuddled old man to someone who is lucid. Yeah. Cool. So on to payoff. So the two things you earn from a score are rep and coin. So rep is what you use to advance in tier in the game. And as standard, you gain two rep from doing a score. You also get plus one rep for each tier higher than you. the target of the score is. I think the target of the score were the great families who are tier five and you're tier one. So you'll get two rep as standard and then plus four. So you gain six rep from this score. You do have an option here to keep the operation completely quiet and like blame it on someone else and then take zero rep but i don't think that's what you've done as part of the score nah now we're owning this one cool um and then the crew earns coin based on the nature of the operation and or any loot you seized you've got a nice box hell yeah loot is box and old man <laughs> and fabric scraps does oaken have any pocket change <laughs> No, Oaken is in a mere scrap of cloth. Great, great. <laughs> Old man in loin cloth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I imagine between the box and maybe just some general pay that you get from the Ginnels, just for upkeep, you probably get maybe four coin for this. Ooh. It's a little bit lower than what you get for most scores, but I don't think this was a big score in terms of payout. You can also divvy it up among the crew members as you see fit. Can I suggest we put three coin into the crew mm-hmm. and fill up our crew coin, and then we give Oaken a coin for some trousers. Extremely, I think yes. that's a great, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Trousers and a shave and a bath. Or or uh, Nia can make some. Oh, yeah, that would be cute. We're going to give a coin to Oaken for for general upkeep, like, please go to a bathhouse and wash and eat a meal. <laughs> and and yeah. Th- yeah. this is mandatory. This is mandatory. So I guess, Beck, go ahead and take one coin. Thank you. <laughs> you, uh, you probably shouldn't tell anyone else you're Oaken, by the way, when you're out in the city. Um, Definitely do not do that. <laughs> why? People might not be as understanding as we were. Does Oaken listen to that? Yeah, I think they would. They're not stupid, but they will be incredibly dismissive when told that. <laughs> Seeing Ash being dismissed by a cranky old man in a tunic, I think Ezra definitely <laughs> kind of like slaps one 
not insubstantial hand on the wall, very close to Oaken's head, and leans in really close and is like, keep the mouth shut, lad. Well, that's slightly more convincing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have an idea of what fake name Oaken would use? Foken, definitely. (laughs) Faken. Hi, it's me, Neko. I was just thinking that! (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. I I like that. I was half imagining him just using Flint as a name. Oh. I think Neko is good. (laughs) (laughs) Flint being the jackal that worked with Oaken to kill Relict back in the day. Oh, I think... think Neko is funny, but Flint is more appropriate. (laughs) So the next thing that happens is you gain heat. So the city is full of prying eyes and informants, both living and ghostly. Anything you do might be witnessed, and there's always evidence left behind. To reflect this, your crew acquires heat as they commit crimes. After a score or conflict with an opponent, your crew takes heat according to the nature of the operation. So zero heat is smooth and quiet, low exposure. Two heat is contained standard exposure four is loud and chaotic high exposure six is wild devastating exposure what were we thinking i feel like we were pretty pretty sneaky i was glowing super brightly almost the entire time in a dark alley we set fire to somebody and then got in a gunfight oh we did set someone on fire yeah but it was after curfew this is true and it was on, like, friendly turf. And it was on friendly turf, so ain't no one gonna dob us in around there. I, could, I can see this being contained okay. to heat. Because okay, I imagine yeah. it's pretty quick as well. And then you add plus one heat for a high-profile or well-connected target, which I think this is. So that's free heat. Yep. You add plus one if it happened on hostile turf. It didn't. Plus one if, it, if you're at war with another faction, you're not. And plus two heat if killing was involved, which I don't think you killed anyone. Or I don't think anyone's killed We did set that man all. on fire. He might be dead. He's fine. He's just no, he's fine. Warm. He's fine. He's fine. I thought it was just someone's hair. Yeah, it, 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 it was just hair. It, was it, it wasn't uh, meant to be yeah. a damaging thing. He's just a little crispy. <laughs> just, just a bit crispy. Uh, so you gain free heat from the score. And yeah, basically, as your heat fills up, you will gain wanted levels. And it's basically how much the law want to find you, how much trouble you're creating for yourselves. I get a feeling we're going to burn through these. Probably, yeah. Uh, that was definitely one of the karma scores I've seen in Blades. Yeah, we only set fire to one person. So the next thing that happens is I will roll an entanglement, which is some trouble that comes calling. I think what I'll do, because you can put this at any stage in the downtime, is I'll roll it after this session and roll it into the next session if it's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And what we'll do instead is we'll jump straight to the last bit, which is downtime activities. So between scores, your crew spends time at their liberty, attending to personal needs and side projects. These are called downtime activities. During a downtime phase, each character has time for two downtime activities. So there are six different activities that you can do, and you each get to do two of them. You can do the same one more than once if you want. You can also spend coin or rep from your sheet or the crew sheet to take additional activities as well. So the six different activities, just to run through them, are acquire asset, which is to gain a temporary use of an asset, like an item, a cohort, like a gang of people, a vehicle or service. So that's very good if you know what your next score is going to be in order to get some gear that will help you. 
you can do a long-term project, which is you work on a special long-term project describing what your character does. And we set a clock, which describes how long and how much effort you have to put into it. And each downtime, you'll do some more roles towards it. A long-term project can cover a wide variety of different activities. It could be doing research into a ritual, trying to find a new score for yourselves. It could be creating something, creating a new piece of equipment. It could be changing your character's vice. It's quite a broad category that lets you do whatever you want within the fiction of the game. You can recover, which is seeking treatment and trying to heal any harm you've got. I don't think anyone has any harm from that score, so you should be fine. You can reduce heat which is trying to reduce the heat level of the crew and stopping that from ticking over into wanted levels. You can train, which is you spend your time in training and you mark XP on one of the tracks, so either attribute or playbook advancement and start to get new abilities or improve your stats. Or you can indulge your vice. So each of you has a vice, and indulging your vice is you visit your vice purveyor and you attempt to relieve stress. And indulging vice is really, really interesting, which we'll see if we if someone chooses this, in that if you overindulge your vice, you usually end up with some bad stuff happening. So who would like to go first? Who would like to do the first set of downtime activities? I've got a pretty good idea of uh, what I want to be doing. Go ahead. What is Ash doing? And I'm imagining this is over a period of a couple of weeks after this score. So I'm going to be doing a long-term project. Okay. Ash has this like bismuth plate uh which somebody found uh we we set this up during the uh the world building episode but uh basically it's this bismuth plate which somebody found and it has it's when you look at it from the right angle it's kind of got a map of embrace on it and when you flip it over there's somehow a map of the cut and Ash spends a lot of time just sitting and staring at this thing. It's kind of how he can move around so so easily because he kind of can see where the cracks that lead through to the other side. If you can stare, if he stares stares at it for long enough, you can kind of get an idea of which bits intersect on the city and the cut, and is able to sort of traverse using those shortcuts. Um, and one of the things he does a lot a lot of is just sit and stare at it. So I'm going to do that as a long-term project and see if I can kind of get any extra stuff from it, if that's all right. Yeah, I guess the question here is, what do you want at the end of it? Um, I would like to... I guess maybe he's he's trying to find a particular path. Like, maybe a way into the Jackal's place. Sure. Um... I think that would be fun because like ash ash has got a bit of a a bit of a thing for the jackals he kind of like even though he's meant to hate, hate them he kind of looks up to them sees them as kind of like almost superheroes and you know is always kind of overjoyed to see them in the street even though he might be chucking chucking vegetables at them along with everyone else kind of thing yeah so he he wants to get in there, you know. He's he's heard heard about people trying to break in there, and nobody's ever managed to do it. And it's a bit of an ambition of his, maybe. No, that makes sense. That's good. Okay, so we set what the clock is. I think this might be a 
just trying to think. It is quite high tier. It's probably quite well defended. So let's say it's a six-step clock. Okay. The way this works is you choose an action that you're using this time to advance the project, Mm -hmm. and you roll it. You can add plus one dice if you have a friend or contact helping you. I don't think I have a friend or contact helping just yet. Um, So I'm going to roll a tune. I think that fits with... Uh, sort of attuning with the cut and all of that kind of stuff, just sinking into that state of being able to read this thing. Okay, and what is your attune again? It's one. Okay, make your roll. (laughs) Yep, that's a one. (laughs) So on a one, you fill in one segment. So So the way this works is one to three is one segment, four to five is two segments, Six is three segments, and a critical is five segments. If you want, you can spend coin to increase the effect level. I don't have any. You can spend from your crew sheet as well. It just depends whether everyone else is happy to let you do that. Nah, that's fine. Okay, so you mark one segment. Um, And the second thing I wanted to do was train. Okay. Um, Can you, can you train your... Your character, your playbook, or do you have to train one of the skills? No, you can train attribute or playbook. And just to clarify what that means is playbook gives you new special abilities and attributes gives you new dots so you roll more dice when you roll. Um, even though we've got a, a bonus to training a resolve, I think I'm going to put a point into prowess. Okay. It's just one point, isn't it? Yeah, it's just one point. Uh, what does this look like? What is Ash doing? Um, I think he's uh, just doing the occasional kind of just uh, playing out, out on the rooftops with uh, with his runner friends, scaling uh, scaling towers and that kind of thing. Just playing, basically. When this happens, just so I've got a picture, does does Ash ever cheat using his ability to go into the cut? Or does he limit himself? Only if there's something on the line. Okay. Like if, if there's a prize or if there's some kind of you know pride at stake or whatever, he might take a little step quicker than he would have otherwise. But if, he, if he's just playing, he's just playing. And just generally, what is Ash's life like outside of the score? Lots of family time. Um, okay. Very, very close to his family. Uh, spends, spends a lot of time at home. Maybe occasionally helps out in the in the shop. Um, probably annoys uh, annoys his sister when she's at work. Uh, well, uh, his his sisters, s- several of them uh, at their various jobs, just shows up and you know bugs them. Hangs out with his friends on the rooftops, that kind of thing. I imagine it's lots of your family giving you things to do to stop you from annoying your sisters. Yep. Probably. Hey, hey, Ash, go go work in the shop for a little bit. Or, hey, Ash, we need some help with this. Don't go annoy your sisters, please. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. <laughs> cool. Um, so who would like to go next? Or would you like to spend any coin or rep to take additional activities? Nah, nah, I'm good. Cool. So who would like to go next? I'm happy to go next, if we need to. Sounds good. Um. So... I think that the first thing that Ivar's going to do is do some training. Okay. 
Um, he's also going to do some playbook training. Um, he's going to focus on trying to make himself uh, disappear. Okay. And like be able to pass through things. So I think he's going to just focus on trying to get his body parts to sort of pass through things. Just maybe starting with his hand, like trying to pass them through like some of the equipment inside the inside the carousel. So I imagine playing around with manifesting and unmanifesting, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. Is this a thing he does regularly? If we watched Ivar, would we see him training a lot in this way? I think he's still trying to get used to his ghostly form in that way. Um, like, he can do certain things very well, the stuff that he's already sort of mastered, but other things, he you know, he still can't disappear at will or pass through things at will. He can't, you know, move himself into inside other things. So it's that stuff he hasn't managed to mentally do because it's something he could never do in life. No, that makes sense. Is he fairly new at being a ghost? Or is it just that this is a set of stuff that not necessarily all ghosts can do? Is it like Ivar is pushing himself to be sort of exceptional. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of ghosts are either satisfied with their existence, so to speak, or whatever they do. But I think that Ivar is pushing himself to be able to do things that will be helpful, if that makes sense. Yeah. I kind of imagine it like you can push yourself to train yourself to do a thing, but that is a lot of work and a lot of determination and you really need to be into that thing. Yeah, so I think that's what he's working on today. Or maybe just over the course of a few days, just wandering around, sticking his hand in machines where they don't belong. <laughs> and what is he doing for his second downtime activity? I think he's going to try and take some of the heat off the crew. Okay. What is he doing to do that? So the examples that are in there are like consorting with a friend who's a blue coat. Or commanding the fear of local citizens so they're afraid to snitch. Could be putting the heat elsewhere. It could be... I mean, seeing as you've got quite an influential position in your community, I guess you could, you could like, spread rumours about, about it being some other crew, or, like, spread a whole load of different rumours that the job was pulled off by, like, six different groups. Kind of like the idea that I got some of the, the ghosts in Thailand to go and spread rumours. I guess the one thing I'll say is that, like, because you took rep for the score, I'd be careful about laying it on someone else. Do you think you could get your your ghost crew hauntings to just be, like, spreading the good word about the jubilant? Yeah. I think that makes sense. Because it doesn't have to be literally about taking down the heat from your last job, but, like, getting people on your side is quite good. Yeah. Okay. I think that does make more sense. Nice. Spreading the good word. Perhaps it's getting my my people to be out in the area where we pulled the job. Because I think obviously it would have, you know, been a bit noisy. A lot of the a lot of the people that lived nearby would have, you know, seen what happened and stuff and maybe have been whispering about it amongst themselves. But I think we're gonna try and put those rumours to bed, so to speak. I like the idea of this being a little bit of almost mending relations as well. Like, 
someone's yeah. cart got knocked over, so you're helping to fix it, or yeah, someone's wall got a bit burnt, so you're going to give it a new coat of paint. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So what would you like to roll for this? It could be command. If you're giving orders and telling people how to do it, it could just be consortus way and just take a zero dice. It's up to you. I think command does make sense in that way. Just getting the the people that will listen to me anyway to, to help and fix the wrongs. Is anyone you know helping you? Hmm. Who was Trilvo again? Uh, Trilvo was like my ghost mother. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, not literally. Not literally my mother, but yeah, a, a, a ghost that is motherly towards me. Looks after, is almost a mother to all the ghosts in, in Tales End. I could imagine someone like Nilcat helping. Mm-hmm. Like Nilcat and some of the Ginnels coming out to help. Yeah. Do this work as well. So you take plus one dice for that. Okay. And is this just a normal roll? Yeah. So on a one to three, you will reduce one heat. On a four to five, you reduce two. On a six, you reduce three. On a critical, you reduce five. Oof, a six. Ooh, nice. Nice. So you reduce three heat. So that takes us back down to zero. Goodbye, heat. I think you get a very strong sense of I don't think the people of Atrium were going to really rat you out anyway. And I'm imagining that the Swifts don't have much territory or hold in that area. So this is very much everyone just agrees to keep it quiet. You smooth over anything, any complaints that people have about your activities and you just keep everything on the down low. Are those both of your actions? Yep, that's me done. Is there anything else that Ivar is doing? Like, what, what are these couple of weeks like for Ivar? How does Ivar generally spend his time between scores? I think it's either keeping an eye on Tail's End, making sure that, you know, nothing bad is going on there and that people are respecting the space that have been given to the ghosts. Um, and I think between that and probably just back and forth between the Jubilee and here, is Ivar involved in the governance of Tales End, or is he just its protector? I think to the extent of perhaps um, the people who are governing Tales End maybe ask for advice or maybe like ask what they think is the general feeling of the people that live there. That makes sense, yeah. So not directly asking them what should we do, but... What do you think the people will react to this? Yeah. I like the image of Tales End being a little bit anarchic in some ways. I think like anything like that, they're always the people that people turn to most. And maybe Ivar is one of those. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Okay, so who would like to go next? Yeah, I think I will. Okay. I'm really interested in this. What What is Oaken doing? Um... So what I'm going to do is I'll do the, the more boring one first. I'm going to try and acquire a weapon. Okay. Acquire an asset. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. And I guess I'll have to do this by cooperating and talking to the group. <laughs> really unfortunate, but oh well. 
Um, yeah, I imagine they've got some good connections. I want something as, as close to that spear as possible, you know? Yeah, I'm kind of imagining that the jubilant help to like outfit you, generally. But in terms of getting a spear, in terms of getting that kind of weapon, that's what this is about. So to acquire the asset, roll a cruise tier. The result indicates the quality of the asset you get using the cruise tier as the base. So the way this works is you roll the cruise tier, which is one, and that will basically tell you what tier weapon you get or what tier of item you get. I can, if I want, set a minimum quality level that you need to achieve. Uh-huh. But I think for I think for this, this is pretty easy. Well, there's no need because I rolled a five. Cool. So on a five, it's your tier. So you get a tier one weapon, which I think is going to be a pretty decent spear. Yeah. I think it's going to be, and, you know, maybe you can add it on this about where you get it from, but it's maybe something that, like, a private militia would use or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sort of like military-grade weapon. It's not fancy, it's not masterwork by any means, but it's not something you've found. It's not something that's broken or something you're using in place of a spear. How do you get this? What does this look like? Um... Are you buying it? Are you taking it from some people? I'm not buying it. I'm not paying money. It's just a little something to tide me over until I get my real one back. Yeah. Do you all go out and do this, or is it like Oaken and someone else? I mean, if you want heist skills, I'm definitely adequate at that, I would say. (laughs) Yeah. Also enthusiastic. If there's other weaponry around, because one of the things that Nia is going to do is maybe actually have some kind of useful fight-y thing just in case. Maybe? What sort of useful fighty stuff are you after? I don't know. Because you already have on your sheet a blade, throwing knives, a pistol, a second pistol, a large weapon, an unusual weapon. Never mind, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Fine, no problems yeah, here. But you can always use more throwing knives somewhere, right? There's like, some of them were, went missing. <laughs> oh yeah, what do I have from that? In that case, probably not really going to help Oaken. That is a strange person that Nia doesn't know. Yeah. If you wanted to get something that was like of particular quality, it's probably worthwhile. But in terms of general weapons, it's assumed that you've got everything you need. Yeah, I think I'm fine then. Okay. I'm sort of imagining this as you and whoever helps you sort of bumping into a couple of guards or something in the street and roughing them up or something. Oh, in that case, I'm probably not the person. <laughs> No, no, I think just a bit of some light shenanigans, you know. Put a bit over their head or something. I mean, run away giggling. I'm, I'm a very good distraction. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just like throw you out as a distraction while I go get the stuff and leave. I think Ash would probably like run up to the guard and like jump on their back and just like piggyback around. <laughs> like, <laughs> while, they're, while they're trying to get rid of me, you can just walk up and take their spear. Well, I guess they are a good distraction. (laughs) Not much finesse, but... (laughs) And then you both just run away as fast as you can. Yes. Okay. And what is Oaken doing for his second downtime action? He is going to work on his long-term project. Okay. Which is 
communicating with Mel and the Remnants. Nice. I guess my question here is, do you want this to be a long-term project or a patron's favour? Oh, a patron's favour would be yeah. the thing to do, wouldn't it? Which is when you spend a downtime activity to communicate with your patron, gain one temporary action dot in one of the following skills, study, prowl, or sway, blast for one score. I mean, I guess it's up to you. I guess it's whether you want the action dot or whether um, you want to gain some specific knowledge. I think I think I like the idea of Oaken is trying to get clarity okay. from Mal and the Remnants, and that is a goal he's working towards. And that feels more important to him at the moment than just being better at something. Okay. And what do you want to get at the end of this? And this can be any, like, feel free to create a bit of fiction here. What What do you think the end result is of Oaken communicating with Mel and Sokka? I think it might be easier if I said what Oaken wants, because I'm not sure that is what he's going to get. Okay, what does he want? I think he wants the remnants to guide him in this situation. He knows that they want something from him. He knows there's something he's got to do, but he doesn't quite know what. Mm. He wants the big picture. Sure. This is almost like research to find out what he should be doing. Yeah. And maybe at this stage is almost like him trying to get back in contact with them to some degree. Yeah, yeah, this is. This clock is almost like a loss of his humanity as well. Yeah. As he gets more in, in tune with the remnants. Okay. No, I like it. We sort of attempted to make this a four-step clock. Okay. With this being like the initial gaining contact and some direction. Because I think once we've got that, we can see where it goes after that, and we could always create another clock. Yeah. And see where it yeah. goes. What action would you like to use for this? How is Ogun going about getting in touch with Mel and Sokka. I mean, this is a tune, right? It, it could be, if you wanted to. Is it Oaken sat in a room trying to reach out that way? Was it him hunting? Yeah, yeah, this is like a silent meditation kind of thing. What does this look like? Is this while he's in the carousel? Yeah, I think he'd, you know, he'd use his ridiculous balance to climb up to the top of the rafters and find a corner away from all the commotion. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there's like a little skylight or a window up there, he can look over the city. Is he using the bee at all? Yeah. I think as he gets deeper into the meditation, the bee naturally comes out. Does it fly away or is it just... Um, I think so. You know um, what happened to Sokka? Yeah. Um, How they got covered in that kind of honey? Yeah. I think that happens to Oaken, but it's more like a shimmering mirage of it. Nice. And obviously that goes away when he snaps out of it, but... But he sort of, like, sits there for as long as this takes. Yeah, I'm not sure, like, that is something he's aware of even happening. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Okay, so you roll your tune. And you Mm. take the high, so that's a free... So on a one to three, you mark one segment of the clock. You can spend a coin or a rep to make it into a four or five, which would be two segments. 
I think I think I'm okay for this first one. So what do you think this feels like as a one step? Is it you're getting closer but can sense it, or is it just you're getting nothing at the minute? I think it's just I can feel their presence in the city and maybe points where it's stronger. But you can't quite narrow down where that is yet. Yeah, yeah, and I can't... It's that, like, the voices are still garbled, I can't hear them clearly, but I can hear them. Okay. Was that both of your actions? Yeah, I think that's me done. You can spend a coin to do another one if you wanted to. Buy pants. Buy some pants. (laughs) Yeah, I think you get to do that automatically. (laughs) Automatically equipped. Oh, what sort of stuff does Oaken get? What does Oaken look like now? I quite like the idea that Nia has dressed Oaken a little bit. Okay. <laughs> that sounds amazing, and absolutely. Like, they, they have... Oaken has his usual grey, loose clothing that he can run around in, but has this, like, really gaudy, patchwork, colourful ascot or something that Nia has made for him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not quite mean enough to get rid of. Yeah. I imagine Nia is like, this is this is the latest fashion. I, I, I'd like to think that Nia has made a enormous multi-piece outfit that um, oh Oaken's God. only wearing like the smallest portion of it possible because it's just so high fashion <laughs> and completely unusable. It's got like leggings and pantalons yeah. and a waistcoat and then like a dress coat and then like an ascot and then like removable collar and sleeves and well and all of the little because um, we talked about Ezra makes mechanisms to go into the clothing as well so it's kind of clunky and loud Ooh. and makes interesting like noises all the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that just completely ruins the balance and, pre- and has presented this to you and. <laughs> Ezra offered Oaken one of their shirts instead, but it had no buttons above, like, the navel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm imagining the sort of clothes that Nia creates being those shoes you get as a kid with the flashing lights. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, definitely those. Are they Heelys as well? Yeah. Yeah, you press a button and it makes a honking noise from somewhere, and and, and, and they leave animal tracks. Uh, <laughs> the clothes are just so bad. Actual clown shoes. Clothing isn't just about what you wear; it's about the noise. It's about the experience. The... It's about the experience of being you and everyone else seeing you and experiencing you be you. And then after this, Oakham went and bought pants. <laughs> <laughs> just, I was like, this is too much. I imagine there was a really awkward, like, couple of hours looking at all the eel and fish, uh, dressed, mm. like, kind of dressed up, trying to see what Oaken likes, and then ignoring all of that as Oaken was like, oh, how yeah. about this, like, one bit of unfinished clothing? Yeah, like, like when you go to a hairdresser's and they just give you what, <laughs> what they want. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. And finally, what is this couple of weeks like for Oaken? How is Oaken spending his time? I think Oaken is learning what has happened while he's been asleep, mainly. Okay. 
Is that lots of walking around the city? Is it reading stuff? Is it something else? I think it's reading. I think it's going to bits of the city that he remembers and seeing how they've changed. Yeah. And they've probably changed massively because it's been a few hundred years. But yeah. 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 Is the change a thing he likes or hates? I think it's most of it is it's quite upsetting for him. Mm. Like he goes to all these places hoping to find some kind of mooring and it's just not there anymore. Is there a place where he most feels that? Um well I guess he kind of does a little leap around the outside of the Jackal headquarters. It's probably there, right? Yeah, and I imagine it's weirdly both the same building, but very different. For one, it's got the tower that Oaken was staying in. I was like, oh, that's my bedroom. (laughs) There it is. Just trying to keep his head down so no one recognises him. Yeah, like they would. Okay, so who would like to go next? I think we've got Ezra and Nia left. Uh, yeah, I have an idea of what I want to do, but if you have some things, is feel free to jump in. Now, go ahead. So, Ezra, what 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 are your plans? Well, I would I would like to kick off a long term project. I think I wasn't sure whether this would be a long term project or acquire an asset, but I get the idea that acquiring an asset is when you like buy something or rent something or like get something from someone else. Yeah, acquire an asset is sort of focused on getting something temporarily for the next mission or the next time you use it, whereas the long-term project is about making something more permanent. That's the why I wasn't sure which one it is, because I think this this is a one-use item, but I will have to make them. So, so what are you planning? I would like to make everyone a safety bracelet. Um, I would like to make okay. a smaller version of the thing that clamped the cart, kind of, that you wear around your wrist. And um, if you kind of like bite the the flesh at the base of your thumb so you get blood on it, it will uh, unpick the nearest lock. So I'm I'm trying to make a, a little anti-handcuff bracelet. Would it unpick the nearest door as well if there wasn't handcuffs? Or is it just... Um, it would give it a go. I think it there is a, a level of difficulty at which it would tap out and not work. I'm not going to say this would unlock yeah. any door. Maybe there's a range as well. So if you were next to that door and holding your wrist to it, sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's got quite a short range, quite a short lifespan. I think Ezra's binding is mostly done through kind of physical act because I don't think, in the nicest way, they don't really um, have a concept of of spirit as spirit actually is. So most of their binding is done kind of through like essences. So I think the, the idea of... You wear it on your wrist so you can bite your hand if you're in a in a bind is because the binding is set up to take a very small sliver of spirit from kind of a droplet of blood and then work very fast because that spirit isn't going to get you very far. That makes sense. So yeah, I think this is a long-term project because even if the item is temporary within like the context of a score, I imagine once you've created this, it's about almost like about creating the plan for them, and then I can imagine you can fix them or repair them or make new ones between scores. Yeah, I think a lot of this is going to be like field work on lock picking, honestly, which is a thing Ezra isn't 
massively familiar with, but will have to be so to make the machine do it good. Yeah. So let's say this is a long-term project, maybe a six-step clock? Six is fair. The lockpicking thing seemed a lot more useful then. I was like, oh, okay, safety bracelets, like friendship bracelets. We're all going to have friendship bla- bracelets. We're all going to have so... friendship bracelets, except they stab you and then come alive. Yes. I've named this clock Escapelet. <laughs> is that Ezra's own term for these devices? Yes. I really like it. I can only imagine Nia's going to make Ezra redesign it once it's finished to be less ugly. I was just thinking, how is Nia going to prettify it in some way, adding some kind of style? So you tell me what you're doing at the minute to advance this project. What attribute do you want to do and like, how does that look on screen? Um, this is Tinker. Is this Ezra working out lockpicking? Yeah, this is Ezra's kind of gone down to the atrium markets and bought every lock they could find and is just like studiously taking them all apart and with kind of like the remnants of other projects they've worked on being like, okay, well, this little armature would would fit in and rotate the right way. So if I attach it to this kind of body, it can move and that kind of thing. That sounds good. That is a one and a six. So you take the highest dice, so that's a six. Yeah. So on a six, you get to mark three segments of the clock. Nice. You could also spend a coin to to boost it by an effect level, which would mean you mark five segments of the clock. I would like to do that, but I'd, ha- I'd have to take coin from the crew. I think the escapelets seem like a, a, a valuable thing. It's for the benefit of the crew. And I like the name. Okay, well... I didn't ask anyone else. I just told Nia I needed some money for locks and quote-unquote jewellery things and say gave me some coin. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. So that's five. And it being on five means the next time you work on it, you're pretty much guaranteed to get it. Oh, perfect. So yeah, paint a picture here. Does Ezra just blast through these locks? Yeah, I think... um, I guess because... Oaken must be, for the moment, just kind of living with Ezra because Oaken will have to stay in the Jubilee. There's nowhere else (laughs) for him to go. Ezra is kind of just studiously, there are no corners, it's circular, but kind of tucked into a nook with a pile of locks, just ignoring Oaken for like hours at a time so they don't have to have any awkward conversations. And that proves, I guess, to be quite a useful method of working. Yeah. And I can kind of imagine, because you've got five segments marked, that this is both you figuring out how to unpick locks, but also how to get spirit to unpick locks as well. I think this is, yeah, probably how to unpick locks, how to get the right piece of spirit that will be, I guess, interested in doing that almost, is the way that Ezra conceives it. That's not necessarily how spirit works, but that's how Ezra works. And the basic workings of the mechanism itself And I think that last segment is Ezra figuring out how to lay the binding into the working of the machine itself. So it just needs contact with spirit to kind of take it and go. That makes sense. And what would you like to do for your second downtime action? Ooh, I think I kind of want to get a point in wreck because that feels like something Ezra is very capable of doing. 
but as of yet, is not dice-wise capable of doing. So that's uh, prowess training? Yeah, that's prowess training. Get to mark one XP in prowess. And then, yeah, what does this look like? What is Ezra doing to train in this way? I think probably just kind of watching Ash, not not playing, but, you know, like, like laking about with his mates. Because I imagine Ash's friends are a bit destructive. Yeah. And finding the ways in which they get into trouble and then thinking, okay, well, how can I make that be bigger? I don't know if Ash knows <laughs> Ezra is watching this. So it's not like you're joining in, you're just kind of watching from <laughs> no. afar? I, th- I think there's like, in the central pillar of the Jubilee is a maintenance ladder right up to the roof. And there's mm. just like a little hatch up there for repairs and painting and lights and stuff. And so I think Ezra's just kind of sat on the roof with a big pair of binoculars and some notepads just <laughs> watching people get into trouble in town. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And just more generally, unless you want to spend a coin or rep to do another action, what does this couple of weeks look like for Ezra? How, what is Ezra's day-to-day like? Ooh, tense, I think. Because Oaken's all up in their living space, which they're not massively keen on. Hmm. Um, and they're trying to work out this complicated new machine. I think that's a part of the work they don't always enjoy, kind of the research. They like the making and the testing. They don't like sitting surrounded by papers and drawings and half-dismantled locks. So I think they're a bit, um, not unhappy, but kind of just on edge. So I think they, so I don't think they'd want to leave Oaken alone in the Jubilee especially because it can't really be locked. So I don't know if they'd maybe just like... Ezra, I think, lives in a shared house, but spends most of their time in the Jubilee. So I don't know if they'd just take Oaken to their house under the care of their old landlady and be like, make sure he doesn't get into trouble. And then um, probably go back to like the family home and hang out with their siblings, who I think are two youngish twins. Okay. And just like do kid stuff with them for a bit to feel better. That sounds nice. Just give yourself some time away. Yeah. I feel like Ezra's landlady is pretty used to them bringing like slightly sketchy older men home, so it just doesn't question it. <laughs> oh no. I'm enjoying just imagining your landlady giving you like a very knowing raised eyebrow. Is there anything else you'd like to do in these two weeks or is that everything for you? I think that is probably everything for me, yeah. Okay. So shall we go over to Nia? What are Say doing? I don't know how much stress someone should normally have before they try and remove it, but Nia's got four points of stress. So basically, should we go over how uh, indulging your vice works? Yeah. So when you indulge your vice, that's the primary way that you reduce stress on your character. And the way stress generally works is... You have a track which has nine boxes. When you fill up those nine boxes, you erase all your stress and you take a trauma. The traumas are cold, haunted, obsessed, paranoid, reckless, soft, unstable, and vicious. If at any point you take all four of those, your character has to retire. But basically, taking trauma is both interesting from a roleplay perspective, because it gives you an extra element to your character that you can play with, but it's also a thing that you might want to avoid. It's, you know, on an individual basis, it's kind of up to you. When you indulge your vice and try and 
release stress. The way that works is you roll your lowest of insight, prowess, or resolve. And what you do is you roll that dice. Um, so you'd roll one dice at the minute, and you would take that amount of stress from your stress. So if you rolled a three, for example, you've got four stress at the minute, so your stress would go down to one. And you'd have more stress to play with in the next scenario. The important thing, actually, is that when you fill out your stress and take a trauma, you are then out of that scenario. So if you're in the middle of the score when that happens, your character's kind of taken out of action. They're not necessarily hurt or anything like that, but they might just be spending a moment to kind of collect themselves, or they might be running away, or they might be somehow removed from the scene. Okay. Lastly, the double-edged sword of indulging your vice is if you roll and remove more stress than you've got, you overindulge. And what that means depends on how you want to write it in the fiction. So there are four different options in the game. You could attract trouble, which means we get an extra entanglement. You could brag, which gives the crew plus two heat. You could be tapped, which means your vice purveyor cuts you off and you need to find a new purveyor for your vice. Or you could be lost, which means that your character disappears for a couple of weeks and you play a different character until they return. So there are some really interesting options there. It's not necessarily... It's negative, but it's also quite interesting to overindulge sometimes from a, like, telling a story perspective. Yeah. So yeah, it's up to you. Um, I think having more stress to play with in the next scenario is probably a good thing to have. It just depends whether you want to do anything else. Well, I also, because Nia's vice is going to perform in, like, radical cafes, salons, mm. and various subversive theatrical haunts... Yeah. But generally with uh, Sir Friend Elif. Yeah. And I'd really like to have Nia get the opportunity to hang out with, with her. Yeah, that sounds good. And is this as part of indulging your vice? Yeah. Okay. So do you want to, before we roll, just kind of set up what that looks like? I'm interested in who Elif is but I'm also interested in what this performance looks like as well. So, Elif is a shopkeeper, or, well, a shop assistant at a really good fabric store in Embrace. I don't actually know where in the city. We haven't set that yet. But Elif is has been very affected by all of the strikes in the dye factories and is kind of a part of that burgeoning revolution. Okay. Um, and also Nia thinks that she's really, really cool. I don't know if Elif thinks that Nia's really cool or anything at all. How did you both meet? Um, so this is the shop where Nia often goes to get Sarah um, materials. Okay. And Say just kept noticing Elif and would like specifically go to the stores, go to the store when Say knew that Elif would be working. So Say were just like hanging out in the shop while they were working? 
Well, like, oh, I I only have two reams of this <laughs> this fabric left. I guess I could go get some more. It is a Wednesday, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then it's through Elif that Nia heard about the the cafes and salons doing radical theater and kind of started attending with Elif okay. to figure out what it was like and also spend more time with her. That makes sense. So what does this performance look like? Where are you? What What sort of performance do you do? So because Nia has been working with Ezra to have slightly mechanical clothes, I think... Right now, Nia's kind of experimenting with their natural kind of like glow mm. with the mechanical little creature-esque things moving and recreating the fabric. Like a kinetic sculpture. Yeah. But it's clothes. But it's clothes and bioluminescence. So do you say basically stand on stage while all of these clothes move around yeah uh, for the moment that's all it is there isn't any there's there's no vocalization there's no further message sarah just kind of finding their feet do you say move with the clothes i think very small at this point it's it's only probably like the third or fourth time that save done this so there's not a lot of confidence in Sir Art yet. Do you have any thoughts about where this is taking place? Is there a particular like cafe or theatre that say go to? Hmm. The one thought that I maybe have is remember the cafe from the atrium stuff? The the really awful pub? Yeah. What if that's been reclaimed? Like when the People's Ward of Atrium forms that kind of just got taken over? That sounds great. I think it's called the Two Worms. Do we think it's still called that, or do you, do you reckon it's got a new name? I mean, I personally love the Two Worms, mm. so I have a personal feeling that they should be remembered all the time because it's tragedy that they've they've disappeared. Is it called like the Vanished Worms now, or something like that? Yeah, yeah, the Vanished Worms. Okay, so would you like to make your role? Oh, yes, I have to roll. Yeah. Um, so the way this works <laughs> is you roll your lowest of the three resistance scores. So insight, prowess, or resolve. How many dice are you rolling? I, I guess you get a bonus dice if Elif is there. Yeah, which um, hopefully she is. Mm. I think Neo would be pretty sad if Elif wasn't in the audience. I think Elif is in the audience. Is Elif the one that has been like pushing you on? Yeah. Da-da-da. Phew, do not overindulge. Oh, that could have been fun. I got three. Nice. And I had four stress. Cool. So, yeah, you have one stress remaining. All right. Cool. And what would you like to do for your second action? I would like probably to do some playbook training. Okay. Start moving towards getting a new ability. Yes. Because I was thinking, because... Neo wasn't particularly useful 
like did some misdirection glowy things, but it would be useful to have other skills, but not ones that are fighting. Okay. There's like a specific distraction one for your playbook where you get plus one D, I think, when you're being a distraction. Yes, there is. There's also one where I can hear people's thoughts. What? Also good. I know. That's, wow, yep. Yeah, you may attune to a nearby person's thoughts in order to hear them yourself, which sounds like a fun time, mm. even though maybe not very useful in an immediate combat situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, you mark one playbook XP, and what does this look like? How is Nia practicing? Do I have to pick which, does it matter like which uh, one I'm going towards? No, you just mark an XP in playbook advancement. Okay. And then once that fills up, you get to choose which ability you take. So you don't have to choose up front. Um, I think I'm going to have some practice there trade. Okay. Save so already been making clothes for Oaken and are a little bit inspired. But whenever they are creating, it helps um, just kind of focus generally. So we get some nice scenes of Sam doing some crafting and... Yeah, the outside of the carousel is even more decorated now. You're very welcome, Ezra. Oh boy, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and... Would you like to take a, any more downtime activities, or are you happy with just the two? I think I'm happy with just the two. Okay, so I guess finally we get to that question of like, what what is Nia doing generally in these couple of weeks? What is Nia's life like? Other than just making clothes and hanging around Elif as much as possible, Say, have a few very awkward dinners with their parents. Um, who, who are their parents? Um, Nia's parents are uh, Cherub and Zedek Nimgors and are terrible. In any specific way or just generally? One of them is a fashion, fashion journalist and the other one is an academic focusing on psychology. Okay. Basically, they sent um, Nia to a very prestigious fashion school and do not understand what Nia's doing with their life at all. I guess their parents don't really understand using fashion as part of the revolution. That's not what fashion is to them. I guess I've got a couple of questions here. One is, do Nia's parents know about Nia's political sensibilities? Probably not what extent they are taking them to. So parents have been trying to reach basically upper class. They're definitely upper middle class. They want to be upper class. They've added Nim to their name, even though that's never been there before. They've changed their wardrobes to be what is believed to be 
the current high-class style, even though that's beginning to shift, and desperately want to be part of the elite and do not understand why Nia has dropped the nim and is dressing the way that they do and wants no part of that. So I'm imagining them as like centrist at best, but probably probably worse. Probably worse. What What is that high class fashion like at the minute? Well, it's just going through a shift mm. because it was basically Italian Renaissance-esque, all of the colors, gold, embroidery, everything. Just take out everything you could put on a garment and do. And that's beginning to change into a more subdued tailoring and color palette, a harsher look. But those reaching the elite, those reaching for the elite, haven't adopted that yet. They're still going for the everything look. That makes sense. Yeah, I think we were having the conversation that because dyes have suddenly become much cheaper due to mechanization, that the upper classes have kind of reacted by wearing lots of like black and white and greys. And a lot of the detail is in very, very subtle lace work. But yeah, I, I like the idea that Nia's parents are wearing stuff that's sort of a bit out of fashion. Yeah. Okay, so it it's a lot of spending time with your parents having these very awkward conversations. Yeah. I think probably not 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 for most of the time, but they those memories stick out in uh Nia's mind quite a lot. Okay, that sounds Great. I think that's everyone. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Okay. So I think we see you all returning to your day-to-day lives, trying to ignore the fact that you're hiding Oaken, one of the, I guess, mythical figures of your of your city within your carousel, the Jubilee. We see Ivar helping out his community, the ghosts of Tales End. We see Ezra amongst their family, helping their mum look after their siblings. Nia, I think we see within Sayre Workshop, trying their best to find some peace and time away from Sayre family. And Ash, we see helping out in his family's shop, a small tailor's shop within the People's Ward of Atrium. Finally, I think we close on a shot of Nilcat entering the scrimshawed temple of Parsant that has become the organisational hub of the People's Ward of Atrium. We see him meeting with the radical priest, Lena Fisher, as we see the two of them discussing the next job, the next step for your group of radicals.